This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Some facts. Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To our listeners, I just want to say thank you so much. We appreciate you. And to AKG, you guys are awesome. Making a great microphone, easy plug-and-play action with USB setup. If you're looking for something to record podcasts, YouTube channels, music, instruments, whatever you can think of, I highly recommend this microphone. On the show today, we welcome the members of the band Firefall. Jock Bartley and Mark Andes are two of the founding members of this rock band that was originally founded in the early 1970s. We chat with them about the band's history and formation, some of their biggest songs, and their new album, Comet, which is available now. I really could have chatted with these guys for as long as they would have let me because they have so many amazing stories from their heyday in the 70s. Stick around until the end to hear Jock perform an acoustic version of their new tune, Way Back When, and please enjoy Jock Bartley and Mark Andes of Firefall. Just remember I love you and it'll be alright This is what sort of a tribute song to the music of the 1960s. Um, it's called Way Back When. Those bands played on music and Dylan wrote the words. Way back when we didn't know them, we'd never again feel so alive. Way back when, in 1965. Really uniquely, in my opinion, because I don't think I've heard a song that does this, where it has three verses that lyrically follow three distinct years, 65, 67, and 69. So, Jack, I wanted to ask you just what can you tell us about this track? How did this kind of come together? Well, 
you know, Firefall has a really rich history and genealogy tree that includes the birds in Buffalo Springfield and up in the higher branches, Poco and the Eagles and Loggins and Messina and stuff. And um, mm -hmm. when Mark rejoined the band about five, six years ago, you know, he suggested that we kind of play that up. And we started playing Nature's Way and the set, you know, from Spirit. And after we recorded Nature's Way, which, by the way, Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles and John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers play on and sing on, um, okay. you know, that kind of opened the doors. And I wanted to write a song that was reminiscent of the 60s and particularly the birds. And when I wrote the first verse about uh, about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the birds and Bob Dylan, when it finished off, that verse finished off, I realized it had to be 1965 because the birds didn't really get happening in 64. That was the Beatles and the Stones and all those other great bands. And um, so I finished the first verse and the first chorus. And then what's kind of funny is I wanted to be historically accurate. So yeah. I Googled top 100 songs of 1967. And then suddenly there's Aretha Franklin respect and the rascals with the uh, Groovin and, you know, and, and Marvin Gaye. And I'm going, Oh, that's great. So, and I did the same thing on 1969 with Led Zeppelin and let it be. And the music from big pink with the band, which Firefall had the great honor to open the band's last tour with them. A lot of the shows, you know, Levon Hellman, Robbie Robertson. And, you know, to me, the band is one of the best American bands and rock bands ever. Yeah. So I wanted to tell the story of a guy and his girlfriend in the 60s listening to some of the greatest music ever and uh, incorporated either the titles of the songs or or the band, uh, you know, the, the people that recorded them. And uh, I'm really happy with how that turned out. Yeah, as you should be. I, there's one uh, that's such a great story behind that, too. And I got one more question on it because as I was listening to it, I like to, the reason that this podcast exists is because I'm a person who loves diving into lyrics and like the devils in the details and the songfacts.com website is a good place to do that. But what I'm wondering is you've got a great lyric. It's everything felt so brand new. We were older than our age. And I think this is something that people have felt at one point in time in one way or another and I'm wondering, what did you mean by that? Well, you know, back in the 60s, we were just experiencing everything really for the first time. And it was the counterculture and it was smoking pot and it was, you know, sexual drugs and rock and roll, kind of. Uh, not for all of us and everything, but it, yeah, I just that was one of the phrases that rolled off my tongue. And, you know. If you're right brained enough about when you're writing lyrics, you can just be playing and sing two or four lines and they're done. And you don't even really think about what it is you're trying to say. And uh, uh, I think that one, the, the one you're asking about, we were older than our age. You know, it felt like we were kind of really mature and older, but hell, we were only 20 years old or 18 or 22 or whatever we were at yeah, the time. I can see that. You know, I will I will add one thing to this, and I've talked about this in other interviews that I've had. What's really interesting is all that great music of the 60s, 
where it was really the Beatles that showed everybody that you could write your own songs, Yeah, you know, and suddenly then all the bands were writing their own songs. That music of the 60s that Mark was part of with Spirit and out in L.A. with all those amazing bands and everything. And and frankly, you know, when Jim McGuinn and, and Richie Fury moved to L.A. and and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young moved to L.A. and then uh, Bernie Ledden and later uh, Don Felder moved from Florida to L.A., they pretty much invented folk rock music, which was the birds mm -hmm. and country rock music, which later became, you know, uh, the, the birds was sweetheart of the rodeo and Graham Parsons yeah. and Poco with Rusty Young and everybody. The point I'm making here is that music of the sixties, I think led directly to how great the music of the seventies was okay. because so suddenly bands were good at writing their own songs and groups like the Eagles had their vision you know, Desperado and the Eagles and and you just go, you know, all the amazing music of the 70s, which Firefall was a small part of, really came from how great the music was of the 60s, which kind of evolved from the music of the 50s with Elvis and all those folks. So there's my story there. Yeah. Well, I like that. And I, you kind of touched on it earlier about how the, the formation of Firefall was really just kind of unique because everyone was kind of doing different projects and then came together from what I'm able to see, but you guys can tell it better than I did. So I kind of want to go back to that time. It was around 1974, if I've got that right, that Firefall officially came out. And so it seems, um, I'm wondering if Mark, can you kind of tell us from your angle how it got its start? And there's roots in Colorado here, right? Cause I've been, I have a place in Denver. I've been living in Denver for like the last seven oh, years. Wow. There is a, a, an interesting story about that. I lived about 40 miles west of uh, Boulder at the time. And, and Chris, who, I, who I'd known, Chris Hillman, was wound up being a neighbor. And uh, we would see each other and catch up. But I had known Chris since the early days of the birds because his... Uh, uh, eventually his first wife and my uh, first live-in girlfriend were best friends. So there was that connection. And when I realized that Chris was in Colorado and I was there and I was doing some music with other people and eventually was asked by Chris to join his, the band that he was putting together to support uh, a new solo record and uh, jock became involved we had a really good drummer michael wooten and the pedal steel guitar player was great it was a great and rick roberts was in that too. And, and rick so the, the nucleus of firefall really uh began playing together supporting chris and we were in chris's band uh, on an aside, there was a conversation that Rick and Jock and I had about uh, possibly recording of Rick's follow-up uh, solo project to She Is a Song, which was a wonderful solo effort uh, had going on. And, we, and he was thinking of following it up. Mm -hmm. So there was a meeting at, at uh, Rick's a part, a little little he was actually staying in a motel at that time <laughs> yeah right remember um, 
the foot of the mountain motel exactly. in Boulder. Exactly. Were you guys, so were you in Boulder? Where, where you said you were 40 miles west of it. Was that Netherland? It was actually uh, between uh, Pine Cliff and Rollinsville. It was, uh, <laughs> so way out there. Up near Gold Hill. I mean, up, up there yeah. past, you know, near Netherland. Yeah. It was, yeah, beyond, <laughs> beyond Netherland. Kind of. And uh, it was ironically, uh, Chris moved to older selling the house there but he sold it to dan folkelberg so dan was my neighbor for uh oh, wow. but anyway i did wind up moving to boulder with my okay. uh, family you know for, for me what was interesting was talking about all those la guys that kind of got tired of living in la after they get out on the road there was a point of time in two or three years where Stephen Stills, Chris Hillman, uh, Richie Fury, Joe Walsh, Dan Fogelberg, uh, Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys, and Mark Andes, all kind of rock stars from L.A., moved to the mountains above Boulder. And me being a Boulder guy, was it was amazing to have that influx of music. Of course, we had Caribou imagine. Records, uh, Caribou Ranch up in, in Netherlands, and Red Rocks was just down the hill toward you know, toward Golden and stuff. Rick, I met Rick Roberts when I was playing with Graham Parsons and Amy Lou Harris in New York City. And Rick, who replaced Graham Parsons in the Flying Burrito Brothers, came and saw our show and we said, you live in Boulder? I live in Boulder, we should get together. <laughs> and when Rick and I started jamming, it was like Mark said, it was gonna be for Rick's third solo record that he was thinking about make, uh, recording. But really, as soon as Mark Andes got in the project, it felt like a band. You know, it kind of felt like, wow, this could be a band. And Rick said to Mark and I, I know this guy, Larry Burnett, a singer songwriter in DC that he and I blend really get to good together. And he writes a lot of songs. Do you want to hear a song? And he brought out a tape. It must have been a reel to reel tape because cassettes weren't invented yet. He brought yeah. out a tape and he played Larry Burnett singing Cinderella. So when Rick flew Larry Burnett out, the interesting thing was when we had our first day of practice with a local drummer, Michael Clark came in about a month or so later, um, we had 20 or 25 original songs to play on our first week of practice. Unbelievable. Well, ready to go. And a lot of those songs, Mexico, Living Ain't Living, Cinderella, would be on our first album a year and a half later. So. It was it was really amazing just to have that many great songs for Mark and me to play on. Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've I think the more famous kind of migration of musicians is the San Francisco Haight Ashbury scene, where that all kind of spread out to the farmland surrounding the Bay Area, versus. I've never heard of the L.A. kind of going out to the mountains of Colorado. I didn't realize that Boulder in that area was such a hotbed in the early '70s, but clearly. What? With that many people, that's incredible. Yeah. We'd be firefall formed. We got Larry and then Michael Clark, Clark 
came in. He was he had been driving his VW van around the great Northwest. And Rick said, we should get Michael Clark down here. And the synergy of that band, I mean, even just the rhythm section, Michael Clark from the Birds, the king of four, four, tasty, you know, really simple plan in the pocket. And Mark on bass, who, you know, Mark wasn't a traditional bass player. He was kind of progressive and little jazzy and spirit. And it was great. And the two of them together, you know, for me as lead guitar player to play on that rhythm section was just was just fantastic. But we'd be playing at a club in Boulder in the early, early days of Firefall. And on any given night, Stephen Stills or Dan Fogelberg or, you know, somebody would come and sit in. Hey, come on up, Steve. You know, and it was just like it, Boulder was a hotbed for about five years. Yeah. And we we uh, played Aspen. Incredible. Uh, many times and and the jerk band would would definitely come in and it was it was interesting because i i i kind of uh was unaware of the migration myself and i i left la kind of uh in a fit of being uh kind of disgusted with my situation uh at that at that time and i and i knew uh, a, a family in eastern colorado and and i knew really did not know anyone else but something said yeah. get you know you need to get out of la and get to colorado and so i really started from beyond zero there not knowing anybody except for the Gorenson family right um, <laughs> And, it, and then you suddenly became neighbors with Chris Hillman and then Dan Fogelberg. Hey, yeah, boom. <laughs> but I, but it, the irony was there, there I was leaving LA, get, come on, get, you know, enough of this already. And, and little did I know that LA was moving to Colorado with, without my knowledge. And then I get there right. and I go, Oh, what, you guys again, because, because in Topanga, yeah. which is where spirit kind of had our house and stuff. I mean, Stills was there. Neil was there. I mean, that basically that nucleus of, of people that Jock just kind of outlined was in Topanga there. So that's just incredible to think about all those people just floating around. I think about them floating around L.A., but I do not think about them being around Boulder, Colorado. I think that that's such a cool piece of information that is just right. not widely known. I'd love to hear that. Um, OK, so now I'm wondering. You guys have 24 songs without even really trying. How do you narrow down the first album? We just, uh, you know, with Mark and I and the drummer on that first week and a little bit later, Michael Clark, you know, Rick would come in and Rick being a really kind of speedy up, up, you know, tempo kind of guy, he'd say, here's one. And he'd play it for us. And maybe we'd, <laughs> maybe we'd say, well, that's nice. What else you got or whatever. And Rick go, okay, how about this one? And, you know, we would look at a song and, you know, and I remember when we, when I heard Mexico, I went, oh my gosh, you know, cause I've told Rick that, you know, I was born to play on that song of his Mexico, you know, it's like that's, that fit my style perfectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Larry, it was, it was interesting because Rick Roberts, particularly once we started having some hit records and success and him making a lot of money from publishing and stuff, Rick kind of wrote a lot of his songs as a formula. And he kept thinking about getting radio play and getting young women to call the radio station to request his songs. 
You are the woman, you know, man. So he was writing formula kind of songs. And Larry Burnett wrote songs as this purging of his soul kind of. And a song would come out. And to have those two kinds of different songs from Ricky's upbeat stuff and Larry's little bit darker stuff and harder rock and roll. It was it was that was the magic of Firefall was our songs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even what I was really as the story is kind of forming now with you guys, it's making me understand the music a little bit better because you guys are, it was all very strong with harmonies too. And that was, there was a lot of texture and layers to it as I, as I've been listening to these um, records over the last week or so. And it's just that, that clearly is some, a place that you guys were coming from and the people that it sounds like you were surrounded by. It's no surprise to that. Can you tell me a little bit, I think the most famous song that, that the band is known for is, um, is You Are the Woman. And I'm wondering if you guys can take me back to the writing of that. Because I'm always curious when it comes to a song like this, if you're in the process of doing it and you kind of know you're onto something. You are the woman that I've always dreamed of. I knew it from the start. I saw your face and that's the last I've seen of my Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that initially, the Firefall, <clears throat> we were a rock band, okay? We And, and mm-hmm. during uh, all of those the years of, of uh, learning the songs, play, performing them live, it was uh, kind of, it was a five-piece, two electric guitar, one acoustic guitar band. And, and when Rick came up with... Uh, you are the woman. I think the band did like a collective eye roll because it was so <laughs> obvious, and it's kind of a syrupy, uh, uh, you know, like right. a formulaic, and it, it we just sort of and we knew it was going to be a hugely successful, but we just resisted. I I kind of remember like, oh God, really, you know, but. Okay, a little too mainstream. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me was that we were rehearsing for the record. We had Jim Mason, our producer, picked out, and uh, we needed a color guy, so we got David Muse on flute, sax, and keyboards and stuff. And we were rehearsing songs, which Mark and I and Rick and Larry and Michael had been playing for a year and a half. And we knew what we were going to do in Cinderella or Mexico or Living Ain't Living. And we had probably seven or eight songs knowing what was going to be on the record. And Rick brought in You Are the Woman one day. And I remember a couple of the guys in the band really didn't like it or thought it doesn't fit. I mean, it's nice and it's commercial, but, you know, but Jim Mason, the producer, went, I mean, hit record, you know. (laughs) And uh, it's interesting. And, And I've been asked, you know, you know, I've been playing, you know, You Are the Woman for 40 plus years. And I've been asked, well, do you get tired of the song? Do you like the song? What's your story? And to me, I am so lucky and we are so lucky to have a hit song that is that big. 
know? Yeah. And it isn't totally representative of what all the rest of our songs sounded like, but that song has kept me working for 40 years and has kept Firefall yeah. together and kept people buying 20 or $30 tickets for concerts for that song. So I'm happy and I love playing it for people. And it's a good thing I like my guitar solo because I remember one time about 20 years ago, I decided I'm gonna play something else. <laughs> and I started, cause I can play, I can play a good solo in D that isn't what everybody expect. And looking at the people that one time, like, no, that's not right. He's not doing it. Oh, no. you know, it took me one time to realize <laughs> that's my solo. I always have to play that. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport and use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So, if you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, Check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Oh, that's such an interesting thing to think about. To, oh, I'd just like to let me show you something else that I might be able to do with it. And they're like, no, right. I got this is my one concert. If I'm on tour with you, yeah, play it different every night. I don't care. But no, this is the one night for me. Well, you know, there's, there's <laughs> certain artists and bands that have either one big hit or two or three hits. And mm -hmm. they're so tired of the song that they yeah. change it to keep their excitement. And to me, the band owes the audience a lot. They, mm -hmm. they're keeping you in business and they're buying tickets. And for me as band leader, there's certain songs that we need to sound as much like the record as we can. You are the woman, just remember I love you, strange ways, you know, certain songs need to sound for the fans like they expect. But having said that, we still have enough, you know, flexibility to on Mexico where I'm soloing or on David's flute solo on Strange Way, we can happen upon new places to go on certain songs. So it's a balance between the familiar and the, the different. Well, I think that, that, yeah. that uh, what I enjoy about Firefall is that very point, Jock which is uh, even 
like you you, you mentioned uh, uh, Mexico and, and Strangeway, which we play pretty exactly, pretty much, you know, try to nail the song. But when it comes to the solo time, man, Jock and uh, David Muse, who's a brilliant flute sax guy and, and a keyboard, he can, he can play some keys. They get into these conversational solo things and 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 jock's right we just we can go left field but uh and and i think the the audiences really respond to that because they know the song and they know that we're going to come back to it eventually (laughs) but but they're going to get this amazing display of musicianship uh during the solo so hang on (laughs) yeah this kind of improvised thing that might not in in tune with grateful dead style just kind of like let this go we're gonna we're gonna circle back we got to finish the song off but let us go and create this music for a minute well there's there's a lot of there's a lot of groups i won't name them that want to sound just like the record on everything and the guitar players basically play the solo that everybody heard on the record you know 30 years ago whatever and to me if i didn't have some flexibility to play something different or just throw something out. And a lot of times I'll walk over to Mark and just kind of go, here you go. And I'll play some lick and, and just (laughs) challenge him to come out there with me, you know, and then we'll get these, you know, these musical conversations going between Mark and I, or David and I, or David and Mark, you know, and it's, it's really so much fun. And I agree with you, Mark, a hundred percent crowds pick up on that because they're going, wow, he's playing a different solo than, you know, yeah. Okay, so I kind of want to, I love that we're doing this history thing because I'm a huge fan of, especially this time era, the 60s and, and, and the 70s, just because of the music that came through. And you guys have had the opportunity to just tour with some just legendary, you mentioned the band earlier, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be hanging out with that group of talent. ELO, the Doobie Brothers, but the I think the one that caught me, and I want to make sure I'm factually correct, but you guys toured with Fleetwood Mac as they were kind of like right at the precipice of like taking off on that meteor. Were they on it already? We, we, we toured with them our first year during their white album. And okay. Okay. So their first album, which was great and just opened the door for them. And because we, um, you know, they liked our music, thought it was, you know, copacetic and we could go out and play a kick-ass 35 minute set even without a sound check, they mm-hmm. used us as one of their prime opening acts for Rumors Tour. And we were playing in front of 50 or 100,000 people a day. Oh, wow. What, I mean, just an incredible thing. So then when did you guys tour with the band? At what point was that? Their last tour, 1976. Was it the one where that was that the, was the last waltz then the last show of that tour? No. Well, it was their last show that they broke up after that. But we yeah. played with them a lot the month leading up to that. Okay. And for me, I'll tell you what, I wish I would have had a camera. Duh. You know, I sat on the side of the stage, maybe <laughs> 10 or 12 feet from Levon Helm every night, just watching them play. And yeah. sometimes they had that five piece civil war horn section playing with them and it, you know behind garth hudson and it was just the band was just amazing they truly were okay mark let's go back to this new album because i read that this was a really interesting thing is that 
you guys had a good amount of music ready to go, but you were having an issue getting the band all in one spot to record the album. And I'm wondering how did you guys eventually make this come to fruition? How did it, how did it eventually happen? Because it's five guys, I think, scattered about, and it's hard to get people together these days and the timing and schedules and well, everything. We, it, since it was pre-COVID, we were on the road and uh, our, uh, our lead singer lives in Nashville. So when we would, so, so when we would play Nashville or close, uh, Gary would put us all up and we would uh, rehearse and then record. There's some beautiful studios in Nashville. The same thing in Colorado when we would play Colorado. That, yep. That's how uh, the first few tracks uh, were recorded was we just went into a, a, a very kind of funky little studio and laid down, you know, bass drums and a, and a, and a rhythm guitar, period. And uh, okay. one of those songs was uh, Nature's Way. Nature's way of telling you in a song. It's nature's way of receiving you. It's nature's way of retrieving you. It's nature's way of telling you something's wrong. It got virtual when. I mean, I did see Timothy playing in uh, in Texas, where I live, uh, and John McPhee was in his band, and uh, I asked him if he would consider singing uh, with me, Nature's Way, and kind of make it a little tribute to Rand, uh, not overt, not real obvious, you know, do one for Randy, because we had just lost, I think, the, uh, the lawsuit for... The Led Zeppelin Taurus introduction to Stairway thing, so I I oh, I okay. felt that I just really wanted to be responsible for uh, giving Randy a little love, and I've been asked, oh, you know, by lots of different people to record their version of Nature's Way with them, and I resisted because I felt whoever I do nature's way with is almost like I'm, I'm endorsing or I'm, I'm you know, somehow uh, yeah. acknowledging that it's worthy of that. And by the time I realized that Firefall was going to be okay and to hang in with and, and, and help uh, develop. Uh, and we started to do got uh, a line. We, uh, so you want to be a rock and roll star. We really, like Jock said, really started to mine the the, the depths of, of the, the uh, root system of, of the group's family tree. Man, those songs really got a great response. So I, you know, I'm I'm kind of just making kind of a fledgling lead singer going out there. Okay, and I'm getting this amazing reaction for. And I and it's not me, it's but the, the so it's a firefall, and we didn't even, even really arrange the thing, really. I mean, it was just oh, let's play nature's way, and pretty much that's how firefall played it. And I and I wanted to keep that vibe, and then my friend uh, Robert McEntee, uh, 
we did cut my vocals there in Austin and we sent those tracks with, with some guitars uh, that Jock later put on in, in Boulder. So there was a little of that uh, and, and uh, Hank, uh, who's Timothy's musical director when he's not running for Congress in Kentucky, um, uh, was able to go to Timothy's studio, record Timothy's vocal, then we sent that to John McPhee and his studio and he put on a ton of stuff that is not uh, audible, uh, but he had a, a baritone and some mandolin and pedal steel, which is uh, pretty audible. But uh, so it was, it was a fun deal and it was to, to really honor Randy. And uh, it was one of the first things we did and it took almost four years to finish. Well, yeah, almost four years to make the record and me as producer, co-producer, basically the band co-produced uh, co the record. I was going nuts because we'd have a song that we'd recorded a month or two earlier in Nashville or whatever. And I'd want to get background vocal parts on the song. And, you know, the next time we could get together was nine months away. And I'm going, I, I need some background <laughs> vocals on this song. And, you know, and we did have some guest appearances and, and, uh, and Steve Weinmeister, who used to be lead vocalist in, in Firefall and Mark Trippens, he sang some background vocals and stuff. But when it's all said and done, you know, the only thing that matters is what the, the record and the song sound like. And I'm yeah. really happy to say that the whole record sounds like the same band and it all flows together and there's nothing that stands out. And one of the things I wanted to try to do when it came time to mix stuff was um, Firefall Records had no, no fancy production in, in the 70s. You could hear the vocals, you could hear the lyrics, oh, there's the lead guitar, oh, here's the flute, you know, oh, the drum fill, you know, whatever. We didn't fill it up, you know? I wanted to keep it really sparse. And when you listen to that song written by Gary Burr from Nashville, great song, Younger, you know? That thing is wide open. I mean, it's it's so sparse, and I love that. You know, I'm really glad that we kept it kept it really sparse. And, and, and I, uh, to add, add to your point, Jock, I think that there was a concerted effort to really make it sound like a Firefall record, like you, you know, yeah. that it wasn't out of context. Well, I'm, uh, that's another thing that pops into my head when you have this sort of longevity. You know. There's, there's the Firefall sound that you guys have talked about. You guys have a sound that you strive for. And can you tell 40 years later, you know, we're veering off of that a little bit. We've got to, maybe this got to, we got to take this layer out of it. Or that is a great song. I just don't know if it's a Firefall song. Are these the kinds of decisions that you guys have to make to be like, this is just, we got to keep it with this band. Right. Well, I knew going in that at least half if not more of the songs on this new record really needed to sound like Firefall. Because if there were 10 songs that didn't sound like us, people would go, what the heck are they doing? You know, this isn't Firefall, it's somebody else. Um, and it actually the cover of that record with the picture of the comet is reminiscent of our first album cover. And, and in the back of my mind, the entire many years that it took to make this record, 
I wanted us to sound like Firefall. And even though certain songs might go a little bit out of the, you know, out of the, uh, the ballpark, you know, a lot of those songs needed to sound like Firefall. And one of the things that, I mean, Firefall was our strength was the songs in the 70s, the singers, and then the synergy of the players, Mark, uh, Mark Andes, Michael Clark, myself and David. And one of the things that, you know, that we do live that I captured some on the record was uh, the interplay between David playing sax or flute and me playing lead guitar, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm really glad that uh, the record's out. I mean, we had the record finished last December. Okay. We were going to put it out January or February 2020. And then the pandemic ha happened and mostly it was Mark and I who talked to our manager and said, we should put it out now, even if with the pandemic and not being able to tour, there's not very much new music being put out there now. And we're really glad that he did. And with the audience, I, I would add to that at, at a certain point, I was beginning to um, feel that the Firefall fan base is really pretty dedicated and, and enthusiastic. And I just felt like I didn't want to let them be concerned that we had forgotten about them. So I wanted to, that was my motivation for, for getting this. Yeah, right. I mean, it sounds to me like this whole thing has been a really great test of patience on so many ways. One, because you guys are sitting there like, I just want some backup vocals on this track and to mix it and be done with it. And I don't know when that's going to happen. So then you've got that patience throughout the recording process. And then the pandemic hits. You're like, do we put it out? What do we do? And now it's out. You guys are starting to get feedback from fans and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you're just like, we want to go play this for people. So now you got to wait well, for that, too. Yeah, that true. was the point initially was to make a CD with this sort of this antiquated uh, form of listening to music these days. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, you know, you don't make any money streaming it. If, if you wanted to be uh, really progressive and if you can afford to, vinyl is really the way uh, it is up and coming. That's the only uh, recorded uh, we're, we're a CD disc that's that's actually uh, getting more popular, even by young kids. I mean, I'm talking my my nieces, uh, you know, to, who's not even in college yet is going. Finals the way. So, but that was it to be able to sell this thing at shows, which is where CDs will kind of be the the coin of the realm because, and then you take that away. Then you go, oh, now. Oy. <laughs> Oy. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a balancing act and we're learning to uh, monetize and uh, stay connected with our people. But uh, it's been very challenging because the Firefall is a working band. I mean, we play a lot of shows every year. And so this is uh, really different. Right. <laughs> you know, going back to your original question, if you take the song A New Mexico that I wrote. Say, I see a New Mexico. Last year I walked this same beach all alone. 
And in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking for years, we need a song like Rick Roberts's Mexico, where I can just play and it sounds like Firefall. And we need a New Mexico. We need a New Mexico. And all of a sudden the light bulb went on and went, a New Mexico. And I wrote this song and we've never played that song live together. I recorded the acoustic guitars and some rhythm guitars and brought in Tutti Calderon to play congas. And I sent it off, emailed it to Sandy and Sandy put drums on it. And, and then he sent it back and says, what do you think? And I said, you know, uh, why don't you try another one? And he'd send it back and the drum part was in great. And then we'd send it to Mark email and Mark would add his bass part. And then we got, you know, and so we've never played that song as a band yet. And surprisingly, it sounds like, like a band. That's, that's something else that I'm so curious about because of, you know, where you guys had your beginnings. What, I can't imagine coming from where you guys came from and seeing how music is made these days where you don't, you can literally just email it, not lose any quality on it and have somebody add another layer. They send it off, add another layer and it comes back and you have a full song and you've never actually played it together. I just wonder what that's like in your guys' minds. It kind of sucks. And the best, the best <laughs> time is when you can, as a band, play a song or at least the basic tracks of the guts of the band have it done you know i mean firefall used to take a month making a record back in the day excuse me back in the 70s and then there was bands like little feet where they would go in with the songs and they would take three days and make the whole record you know yeah. just like they'd play it they'd play it and it was done you know and uh you know that this you know this new kind of uh technology way really misses the mark in that the connection between the musicians, but at least on the one song, a new Mexico, it sounds like we were all playing together, but we really weren't. Well, and, and I would like yeah. to add that, uh, and thank God we have the, the capacity to do that with, with this crazy virus, uh, making all of that very, very complicated. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, Jock is a hundred percent correct. Um, that being in the same room, cutting the song and everybody's feet. I, I did a session, uh, Denny Carmasi, the uh, drummer for Heart and I were uh, asked to play on the single versions of, of White Snake's big record, right? So it was Dan Huff, okay. uh, Denny Carmasi, myself, uh, Keith Olson's the producer, the best producer that Hart ever used. And I'll tell you what, it, we cut that exact way. And David, who had a kind of a cold or something, sang every take of every song that we did that day. We knocked them out. I mean, everybody was really good, but it he was such a pro. And, and, and I mean, really sang the song. So we... And that uh, translates into the vibe of the musicians playing the song. So, uh, good point, Jock. That yeah, it's the three original guys back playing. So even if we're not in the same room, you and and David and I just have this uh, synergy thing, anyways. Right. Yeah. 
you when you go back to the 40s and the 50s where you know you see the orchestra or the band and then the the singer they'd put like two two mics on the orchestra and the singer would have one and they would cut the song and everything was done at once and there it is you know yeah. that's the old way to make records and this overdubbing stuff you know was a, a much uh, later invention well yeah, yeah that's definitely the thing for that yeah right <laughs> Jack, when you put those first acoustic tracks down, did you use a click track? I'm always wondering about yes. that. Or you, do you, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, particularly if you're doing things one at a time and I'm sending it, emailing it to the drummer, it has to be on the click track. Absolutely has now, to. Now, if, if we're recording a song with the three or four of us playing, you don't necessarily have to have a click track. And a lot of people frown on that now and don't want it because tempos and songs kind of move a little bit and that's okay yeah you know but boy if you're doing stuff one at a time you have to thank you because i'm a i'm probably an out of work drummer because click tracks and myself never agreed very much <laughs> I, I i like to sway with that tempo i got a suggestion for you instead of a click <laughs> no. track put a tambourine going and just something play, more natural play to a, a metronome but percussion you know yeah it's not it's a it's it's quite an acquired skill some people come by it naturally but to play and have that kind of loose feel and be playing to a click it takes it right. takes practice yeah yeah um jack were you gonna play a song for us well i i will it's up to you i will i I'm not really a big solo guy, but I, I would be I would be happy to. Um, That'd be fantastic. Okay. I remember way back when songs on the radio set our lives on fire. Then showed us the way to go. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And from L.A. the birds Those bands played our music And Dylan wrote the words Way back when we didn't know then We'd never again feel so alive Way back when in 1965 Mary was my brown-eyed girl Her skin was shade of pale She lit my fire with her love Put the wind in our sails Aretha sang about respect We were younger than yesterday Grooving to the rascals Give me some loving Marvin Gaye. Way back when we didn't know them, we'd never again be closer to heaven. Way back when, in 1967, everything felt so brand new. We were younger than our Memories are turning page by page. 
our big pink house along the river green. Something in the way she moved was like nothing I've ever seen. I asked that girl to marry me. Miriam was so proud. CSN and let it be And Led Zeppelin turned up loud Way back when we didn't know then We could never go back in time Way back when in 1969 Happier than we've ever been Way back when, yes, everything seemed so easy then. Way back when, way back when. Woo! Well Man, to... That's probably the first and last time you'll ever hear me do, doing that song by ourselves. That's what I love. Good work. Well, thank you. And it's you. not late there, so you know you didn't even get a chance to warm up the voice besides a nice cup of coffee. I, I'll tell you what, I had to practice for a little while because I'm a little hoarse today too. It's all right. You know, um, it's it, it's just great having a new record out and having people like you listen to the whole record. Yeah. I mean, Mark was saying, I mean, for the last ten or fifteen years, it's all one song. Let's listen to a song. Let's buy a song. And everything, and it's really cool to have people in their car or in their stereo listen to a whole album and hear the flow of things. Yeah. And it's something that with, again, with the digital thing, like just releasing singles and downloading a track at a time, you don't get that front to back album feel, which, you know, a band like you guys really puts a lot of thought into. And and I think that good, good fans of music will always appreciate that. So keep it up. And I just, guys, I want to thank you so much. I I'm so happy that I got to chat with you. These stories are just, I could, I could honestly just sit and pick your guys' brains on the, on the going through the 70s and everything that you guys have been able to experience forever because I just love hearing about it. And um, I really hope that we get, some, get the word out and comments start selling, that you guys get to get out and tour behind it and, just, and, and really just thank you so much. Thanks for having Good us. Glory. Thank you so much to Mark and Jock for spending some time with me and sharing their stories. What an amazing thing to be creating music with some people for almost 50 years. So impressive. Guys, as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Thank you so much. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra, U.S. only. See store or online for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 